This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with a hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello, melancholy, hello. What's melancholy? Yeah, we'll get to that. Uh, First of all, I thought we'd do a little news roundup. Uh, You own an Apple iPhone, correct? (laughs) Yes. Okay. Uh, I don't know if, did you apply to get the Apple credit card? No. Okay, because apparently you can't carry it next to anything, literally. If you put it in your jeans, it will stain. If you put it next to change, it will scratch. If you put it next to a magnet, it will demagnetize. It's supposed to be this beautiful card that you can't actually carry. So just hmm. word of warning, fair warning to those of us. Well, it's good. I don't have to worry about that since I, I won't <laughs> be ordering it. I didn't even know it existed. Well, it just became available in the, in the U.S. I see. last week. I'm a late adopter. That's okay. I just I wanted to question, have you ever pulled out your credit card and admired your credit cards of any kind? Doesn't matter which one it was. Maybe no. the black card you, you carry. Yes, that's right. My <laughs> American Express Black. Uh-huh. But who who designs a card that you use to run through a credit card machine? I mean, this doesn't necessarily go through credit card machine. It goes through the but, but this sounds Apple very, Pay. This is very but, Apple. Yeah. They make this fancy card that you don't use. Why? It's, just, it's, it's like a, it's a status symbol. Apparently. That's what it is. It is a status symbol, just like your black card. My construction paper black card, yes. <laughs> Accepted at all fine establishments. Yes. I, I thought if, if you got the Apple iCard, you're getting it. Just know that you can't literally – you have to carry it in a special case in its own pocket so that it does not get scratched or marred in any way, shape, or form by anything else in your life. Keep that in mind. Tom Cotton came out today and said he thinks we should buy Greenland. Now, I like Tom Cotton, former soldier. Um Maybe he has some ideas that we haven't thought about. I don't know. I, I mean, I just I really haven't been paying attention to this Greenland thing at all. I know everyone's mocking Trump. Um, I just I don't I really don't care. The Queen of Denmark withdrew her invitation to Trump to visit Denmark oh, because the Danes, own Greenmark, the, the Danes own uh, Greenland. So maybe that was, was that that was so offensive. Apparently. It's not for sale. <laughs> it's not for sale. 56,000 people angry. have spoken. It's not for sale. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't really care, truthfully. No, I don't really care. Actually, one of the reasons I don't care is because it's yet another one of these stories. First of all, you know, it's kind of one of these wacky tweets that Donald Trump sends out. But then it just stays in the news cycle for days on end because it's just – it's more fodder exactly. to bash Trump. I, I, I just don't – I don't care. Well, there's no reason to care. I mean, it, he threw it out – just to troll people, and they've just they made up story after story for no reason. If we get it, great. If we don't, we've never had it. it it's no, so what? It, it doesn't really matter. Um, here's what I want to talk about. And I'm well, gonna, I, I want to add okay. one more thing. Okay, I don't, I don't take seriously the people that are purporting to criticize this is this idiotic idea when these are the same people that say yay and clap their hands when AOC starts talking about cow flatulence and banning airplanes. And this is the great, but Donald Trump, what a moron. He thinks he can buy Greenland. Well, guess what? I mean, you people have no credibility whatsoever to talk about any of this. That's like, look true. at the, look at the main Bernie just unveiled his, what is it? $20 trillion Green New Deal, which will require the federal government. 
And does anyone say anything? Okay, if we're gonna we're gonna make the the scales, what is the more <laughs> outlandish suggestion, policy proposal, buying Greenland or that? I think uh, Greenland would be cheaper. It's cheaper and actually far more sensible. Than <laughs> there might actually be some things. value down the road, right? So they they pretend on the one hand like Donald Trump, what a blockhead. Your entire presidential field of candidates are daily spewing inanities that most normal people laugh at and you're you're spent the last week mocking donald trump about greenland again this is why it doesn't penetrate so uh, last news roundup um the iranian parliament has banned three american citizens i see that you know uh so we're putting sanctions on iran and iran is sanctioning Three individual citizens, including Ted Cruz, lifetime ban. He no. cannot travel to Iran. Their vacation plans for next year are ruined. <laughs> Cruz responds, Senator Cruz already avoids travel to terrorist regimes <laughs> that take American citizens hostage and wants to use nuclear weapons to attack American cities. He urges all Americans to do the same, especially since interacting with Iran's economy in any way carries significant sanctions risk, including some sanctions that he personally helped author and more than he intends to induce in the near future. Right. But I did hear, I did hear they have a really cool new Six Flags park there. <laughs> it's too bad. We can't. They have the highest coaster in the world. Oh, that's me. I'm sorry. That just that's laughable. Yes, it's like la- you banned three. You didn't ban Trump, right? <laughs> you banned Ted Cruz, Senator, uh, you know, National Security Advisor Bolton, and Secretary of Treasury Munchen. Right. I don't understand the Treasury guy. Well, but, oh, yes, who knows? Because <laughs> he won't give you more money. Apparently, that's yes. where it comes from. So that's that's beside the point. But I thought that was kind of funny. Um, so what I want to talk about today: there was a court case in uh, Oklahoma. And it pitted the government of Oklahoma, the state of Oklahoma, against uh, Johnson & Johnson Pharmaceuticals. And this is about the opioid crisis in Oklahoma and in and many other states. I think uh, just about every state is probably facing an opioid crisis. Uh, Johnson & Johnson marketed two opioids um, back in the 90s into the early 2000s, among other companies. Purdue Pharma being the biggest one with OxyContin. Uh, Oxyco- uh, Purdue settled and some other companies settled prior to the trial. Johnson & Johnson were not going to settle. Today, the judge handed out a $562 million um, judgment against Johnson & Johnson. The attorney general for Oklahoma wanted $17 billion. Oh. Because he figured that's how long – he figured that's what it would take to abate the opioid crisis. I, I I, I'm not sure what you do to abate other than don't take the product. I, I, right. I, I don't really I'd like know. to know how the money is going to be spent. I'm sure we judiciously spent by the lawyers who get a third of that. But – this sets a precedent now that a company and, – and I think the – here's – I'll tie this in, in a second. This is one state out of 50. I think we would agree there's probably 49 other states who also have an opioid crisis if you define it as crisis. Uh, 6,000 people have died in the last 20 years. Okay. I don't know if that's a crisis, but sure. it's 6,000 people. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of abuse of opioids. There is a lot of abuse. But what we have to remember is these were products that were uh, – reviewed by the FDA and approved by the FDA. You needed a prescription to get them. And yet only the drug companies are being held accountable for that. That seems a little off for me. I would, I haven't really followed this case. So the one thing that I would want to know is exactly what 
the legal theory is. Uh, didn't you, you mention it, it, like they said it was of, a, some sort of nuisance, public nuisance? Public nuisance was the. But I would love statute. to know what the standard. In other words, in any kind of case like this, there are certain elements that you have to establish in mm-hmm. order to recover. I, I will read up on this a little bit more, just in terms of the the legal analysis. But I would say, big picture. I, I think this concept again. I want to see. Presumably, they're suing them under some kind of statute mm-hmm. in Oklahoma, um, and maybe there are similar statutes in other states with these sort of catch-all public news. There aren't. There probably will be. But I find generally that concept completely ridiculous. I agree. So you're putting a product into the stream of commerce, like you said. By the way, this isn't like cigarettes necessarily. Although mm-hmm. I I have other issues with suing tobacco companies mm-hmm. for behaviors of people who are adults who decide, oh, well, what? This stick of burning tar? You mean this is bad? This is potentially bad? Now, I understand that you can dig into the layers of that where I guess there were there are elements of those situations that tobacco companies were hiding their research about addiction. And, and again, cigarettes really don't have any beneficial purpose other than people enjoy smoking them, but they're deleterious for your health, right? And, and I think it, we've known that for quite some time. I don't think it's been I – mean, I understand. At least since the 60s, but my point, people yes, knew that. My point is, is that opioids actually serve many beneficial mm-hmm. purposes. The problem is, is that they're addictive and they can be abused. Certainly. I, I have no understanding of how you can hold – a company responsible for the end user, the product is not intended to be abused. Now, there's concepts, strict liability mm-hmm. in tort law, sure. where if you put certain products in the marketplace and someone is injured by them, normally you would have to prove negligence. Under tort law, you have to prove that uh, there was something unreasonable. Strict liability basically says, no, we've determined that this product is so potentially hazardous that if someone is harmed by it, a consumer, unless they are explicitly misusing it, mm-hmm. okay, not for its intended purpose, you're going to be responsible. And and I guess that's a similar perhaps analysis that's going on with these opioids. But to your point, what why why is the drug company that followed the regulations that approved these drugs to be used therapeutically? Uh, to reduce pain, to be prescribed by medical professionals, suddenly because there's an abuse epidemic, why are they responsible for this? According to the court, uh, the drug companies, in this case Johnson & Johnson, uh, were accused and apparently convicted of um, basically misleading about the risks of opioids and telling things that weren't true. They didn't really get into a proof source. This trial was televised in Oklahoma. Since um, I think it was June 28th that went went to trial, so people could watch the trials that went on. The, the defense put on many doctors and former representatives who talked about what they were discussed and what they were told to discuss. They deposed everybody they could find. I think to me it feels like it's a punitive judgment to try to get something for their issue. Well, and somebody, whoever has money, let's tra- take it. Somebody has to be blamed. Right. So there, this is pac- this patients. is a wicked pharmaceutical company. Yeah. Not only a pharmaceutical company, I guess. No, Johnson, J&J has a lot of stuff. Yeah, they, yeah. they do a lot of things. Again, I will. I'll make an effort in the next week or so. Okay. I, I want to dig into exactly what the the supposed 
proof was and what the elements were that they had to establish. But you're right. My read on this is this is a very popular kind of mob issue because opioids bad and this is a crisis. So Mm -hmm. there we go. Point it. Point at that company. Plus, they have tons of money, right? So who cares? Let's, get, let's go after who cares? them. Exactly. And, and I, it's not that – I can't say for certain that no representative ever actually said incorrect things. But I want to remind people because I think they don't understand how this concept works. A pharmaceutical sales rep talks to a doctor. The doctor writes the prescription. In, in society, doctors are considered very intelligent highly educated individuals you're telling me that you didn't go any effort to determine if this was the appropriate product for your patient you just listened to a sales representative i find that hard to believe sure so hard to believe the type of proof that i would want to see if you're basing a verdict on misleading would be we have data from laboratory tests before fda approval or even after fda approval that shows that actually this product is addictive immediately within this many doses. Sure. And we're going to hide that information from the medical providers. And that's a different discussion, and, yes. And instead, Certainly. we're going to tell them, as long as you prescribe within a certain therapeutic range, mm-hmm. right, yep. and dosage, yep. you're good to go. That's a different situation. Correct. So if that's I, happened, then that's a if different that is, discussion. If that's an institutional effort to suppress exactly how the drug works and to downplay addictive effects – then to me that that's an entirely different issue and perhaps a legitimate verdict. I question whether anything close to that kind of proof was produced during this trial. One of the lawyers for the state said that uh, representatives were not given a complete history of opioid issues and problems and therefore mischaracterized the addictive properties of the product. But again, you're a doctor You've gone to medical school. You would know that. Me telling you that, you telling me that would not change that situation. You would already know opiates were an issue. Now, if they misled and lied, then that's a different discussion, and there's some liability on that. There were four or five companies that they went after. The other companies settled. It seems like that would be a collusion thing if you're saying they all did the same thing. That seems a little hard to prove. Well, the other the other point me. is – Opioids have been around for a long time. Yes, come from the poppy plant, the opium. (laughs) So my other question would be kind of tangential to your your point is it's not as if this is some new product that the medical community doesn't have any understanding of how it's going to work. Meaning they have their own patients who they have been able to observe over a long period of time. So if, for instance... This was creating addictions in a way that was entirely unexpected. Doctor finds, good grief, I'm I'm prescribing low level doses of this pain yeah. medication, and, and I've got multiple patients over. Well, again, so that's going to become yeah. very well established within the existing medical community. In other words, even if they are potentially hiding something, you have an independent way to sort of verify how this is working. And I'm not sure I'm not sure you can actually establish person to person whether in other words, people are all different. Some people Correct. are far more susceptible to addiction than yep. other people. So yep. in other words, it's not as if there's any proof that if you take twenty five of these pills over a period a certain period of time, you're gonna be an addict. Maybe some people are, 
Yeah. Maybe some people aren't. So that, that makes it even more difficult to assess mm-hmm. how is the company supposed to set a benchmark for any of this in terms of warning when th- it varies by person, it varies by dosage, it varies by circumstances. Any product can potentially be abused. And the other thing that no one wants to think about <laughs> with any of these cases is when you have, have these drugs – that uh, they serve a beneficial purpose if they're used properly. They can be devastating if they're used improperly. What are the incentives that are being created now when a drug company realizes, oh, well, this drug, which has positive efficacy for many people, uh, but we're facing unfunded liability for litigation exposure, we're just not going to do R&D for these drugs anymore. Could be. Now, if you want to have that cost-benefit discussion and say, that's fine. We don't care. Opioids are terrible. They're all bad. All right. Well, opioids help a lot of people. Yeah. That also becomes a public policy question. So Mm -hmm. great, great victory. You've just smashed some wicked giant corporation and maybe the next drug that's going to be a benefit for a lot of people. We're just not going to produce that drug because it doesn't pay us to bring it to market. The risks outweigh the benefit we could gain as a company. And I think they were the, the lawyers for the government, again, were calling it a magic pill, saying the reps were calling it a magic pill. And maybe they were. I'm not sure because that's not my area. But I recognize that these doctors should have been smart enough to say, when you see world's best coffee, do you really believe it's world's best coffee? No. Is this a magic pill? It's an opioid. Well, you also know because this is – you do – I mean you do – you work in a, in a related field. Yeah. There, when a drug is approved by the mm-hmm. FDA – Mm-hmm. There's something called a formulary. Mm-hmm. Okay. It has every single thing adverse effects. Mm-hmm. It has contraindications. It has black box warnings. In mm-hmm. other words, first page do not take this drug with certain other drugs. Correct. If you are a pregnant woman, you must not take this drug. Full stop. Mm-hmm. It has all of the chemical composition. I mean, It'll make your eyes glaze over if you're a layperson. But this is designed specifically for medical professionals. So to your point, I don't care whether some overzealous rep is calling it a magic pill. If I'm a responsible doctor, I'm going to look at the required formulary that says, well, geez, you know, beware. Use of this drug in certain therapeutic doses may cause addiction. Mm -hmm. Guaranteed. Those kind of warnings exist. What I would it's called a package insert. And it, it it comes with every prescription and every sample. It's attached to them. So you can get it if, as a layperson, you can read it. It will make your eyes water and glaze over because there's a lot of legalese in there. And, a lot and there's of even a lengthier formulary that the doctors can pull up on. They have yes. like their own computer program. They can programs. pull it up on their, their, their phone or a computer at any time. The pharmacist can look at it. What I will say is when studies are designed for drug approval, you – Pick a patient population that you think will benefit and you have a control, the patient who doesn't get your product, whatever it is, and they may get an active product, they may get something that's benign. But what you get is you pick those populations. I'm almost positive. Now, having not read the studies, I don't know. I'm almost positive they excluded any persons with addictive personality traits or anything they'd already seen in their past. If they had you know, other uh, alcohol abuse or other drug abuse, they would have been excluded from the trial because you don't want to create addicts. That's not good for business and it's not good for population. So I'm sure those were excluded, but I guarantee when it came to the doctor, 
we know there are doctors who are on the up and up and say, no, I'm not going to give this because I think it's addictive and I think you've got personality would not work, work with us. There's other doctors who will write anything. They're, they're called prescription mills. And you see them in seedier parts of cities where they bring in addicts, get their prescriptions filled by somebody, and then they sell them on the black market. And that probably happened. But that's, again, a doctor's responsibility to write that prescription, not to just give it out free as candy. And unfortunately, here's how it ties into other things, sugary sweets and beverages, guns, <laughs> guns. are There's legitimate opportunities and attempts to sue gun manufacturers. Well, they want to impose strict liability. Correct. Which in, in, in a perfect world goes, oh, that's great. Guns killed somebody. So we should we should go after the gun makers. I want to repeat this so even the, the cheap seats can hear it. A gun cannot kill somebody. A person has to pull the trigger to make that gun fire. That doesn't. The gun itself is an inanimate object. It doesn't automatically. It's not. It's not the Terminator. It doesn't get up and start shooting. It's a gun. You have to pull the trigger. A person is liable. But in our litigation system, the person who pulls the trigger is probably not rich, and they're probably dead after a mass shooting. So you go after the manufacturer who has more money. That's what they're looking for. They're not looking for. They're not looking for total responsibility. They're looking for who can I get to pay me or the family members? Who can I get to pay me? And it goes across all bands. Well, it doesn't matter I mean, what no, it is. What they're ultimately looking to do is is put them out of business. Well, that's what the left would like it, to do. It, yeah. For, for and certain. It's the, same, it's the same concept, which is, yes, the gun is a deadly weapon. Guns, guns are intended to kill. That is what their purpose is. But they can be legally sold and mm -hmm. they can be used for – Legal purposes mm -hmm. and Ill illegal purposes. Certainly. They can be used in self-defense. They can be used to commit murder. The idea that a gun manufacturer is responsible when somebody decides to go shoot somebody, violate the law, commit a crime, again, is patently absurd. Uh, and the product, again, is being misused Correct. in the sense they say, oh, no, it's not. Guns are designed to kill. Guns can be placed in the hands of lawful citizens, mm -hmm. and they can be used all day long, pursuant mm -hmm. to existing laws. Yes. That's exactly what they're for. Yes. So the idea that a gun manufacturer should be responsible, even under a scenario where, let's say, somebody steals a gun from someone's home mm -hmm. and then later uses that in a felony, the gun manufacturer is responsible. How is that even possible? <laughs> I don't it's know. ridiculous. But cars, cars the same way. There, there's some, some places are trying to get car manufacturers. Now, understand – Defects in the manufacturing that lead to accidents, that's, exactly that's a different right. discussion. But somebody who takes a car and plows it into a group of people, you can't blame the car. Well, you sure can't blame you, the sure manufacturer of the car. You can blame the person who drove the car. You, I mean, you you know what I'm talking about. If somebody has an accident, suddenly somebody wants money. Where's, where's the money come from? That's what we, this, that's the society we live in. We live in a very litigious society, and they want somebody to make them whole financially if not emotionally, which you can't make somebody emotionally whole after a tra travesty like that. That's not – it's a nanny state that I don't, I don't want to propagate. I don't think this is a good thing. I feel sorry for everybody who's died from any overdose or from a gun or from a car accident or something, but I don't think you're owed something by everybody else. It, it just doesn't work that way. Well, I don't, it's not even a question of owing somebody. It's a question of who are we willing to place legal responsibility on for this, for these kind of actions, and the idea that the corporation, again, absent some evidence of 
intentional deceit Correct. of concealing mm-hmm. relevant information. And you, you know, you have these allegations all the time. Uh, I know, again, they, they were present during the tobacco litigation with the idea that tobacco companies knew that nicotine mm-hmm. was more addictive than they were, they were letting on. M- my response to that, once again, is you didn't know this was bad. You didn't know sucking that I stuff was, into your lungs was going to give you cancer. I'm not I will just say not this. buying it. I, I, I think that they marketed the product before the science was out that it gave you pep and vigor sure. and weight loss. Joe Camel. Joe Camel. You make it good for kids. I think there was no legal reason somebody couldn't go buy cigarettes. A prescription drug requires a doctor. That's two totally different yeah. ways of obtaining the product. In the 60s, they had to put a warning on. The Surgeon General says that smoking cigarettes can cause cancer. If you didn't know it from the 60s, that's your fault. Now, if you did it anyway and said, I might not get cancer, okay, I might not die of whatever, that's on you. You didn't need somebody to say, if I put this burning pile of garbage in my mouth, it's probably okay. No sane person says, yeah, it's probably okay. You you heard smokers' coughs. You you knew what that was. It wasn't a new thing, even for pipes and everything else. Well, and the other other fundamental laughable hypocrisy – at the heart of the tobacco litigation is what they didn't actually if this in other words if the government is really interested in saying this is a terrible product it kills people mm-hmm. it gives you cancer it ends your life sooner much sooner than it should be it causes all sorts of what would the government do ban they it. would ban the product <laughs> but they didn't. why isn't the product banned because it's far too lucrative because of the taxes yep. on cigarettes yep. so it's kind of one of these wink wink Naughty, naughty. Mm-hmm. Don't sell those. We're going to fine you. We're going to collect billions of dollars, but don't stop making them. You keep making them. Don't make them because we need, we need more roads. We need infrastructure, and that <laughs> stuff pays for all of it. Exactly. So we're going to have this fake morality play where everyone pretends, yes, we'll show you, demon cancer stick. Mm-hmm. Um, keep cranking those out, yep. please. Yeah, by the carton. We, so we that's, need why, all that's another reason why that whole, that whole situation is just absurd. Yes, yes. Well, with the opioid thing, the FDA approves these products. Let that think in, sink in for a second. The FDA, short of what Tony said, short of malfeasance or hiding data that, that shows a detrimental effect that's not publicly known, the FDA approved these products and approves all products in the United States. They take Absolutely no responsibility. I was say, for that. Maybe we None. should maybe we should remove governmental immunity for the FDA. How could they possibly have approved this product? Yeah. There's there's no there's no liability for the physicians who wrote the prescriptions. There's no liability for the FDA who approved it. And if it was marketed the way well, it was there approved, is there is potential liability possibly. for physicians if they're over prescribing. Um, but that's on a that's, that's on kind of on an individual basis. level. A lot of times it deals with you know state by state licensing. Yeah, um, and and it's and it's they may catch to up prove. eventually, but that's not going to be the the quick riches type of thing. I, I just I point that out because I'm I'm always amazed how the only group that's ever responsible is the pharmaceutical company. The, nobody else takes responsibility along the entire pro- approval process, which can take up to fifteen years and cost over a billion dollars. None of that matters because the FDA takes they, – they say you can – we decide if you get it on the market, but we take no responsibility if there's a problem with it ever, ever. So let me move on. <laughs>
This came out. Uh, you listen to the Powerline podcast? I know you don't, so I'll. I'll I don't listen one. to any podcasts, including our own. Okay. I probably should listen to more than I do, which of course right now is zero. Uh, that's okay. So the Powerline uh, podcast—it's a website that you and I read occasionally, probably more than occasionally. On uh, July fourth, they were going over the Declaration of Independence, and they had a special guest. Her name is Lucretia. They don't give a last name. She's a mysterious Lucretia. Lucretia. She's a mysterious uh, professor in the Southwest. Grew up in Northern California. She had a quote, and I thought it was very interesting. I wanted to repeat it so you understand. And this is goes. She, to, is she a Borgia? She is not a Borgia. <laughs> she could. I don't even know if Lucretia is her real name. I have no idea. Uh, that's what they quote. It's in quotes. Lucretia. Okay. Um, but this is in relation to what you're talking about with Bernie Sanders, the the <laughs> green trillion dollar New Deal. Uh, you don't have a right to something that someone else has to give you. So they say Internet's a, a basic human right and uh, free medical care is a basic human right and only two forms of deodorant is a basic human right. Whatever, you would, whatever somebody has to give you isn't a right. A right is not given to you by another human being, given to you by God if you look at the Declaration of Independence. But some, you don't have a right to something someone else has to give you. Do you agree with that, Tony? Um, I don't know. I have to, I have to think about Maybe that's a little too clever. Okay. Um, the proliferation of alleged rights oh, it, has become it, an epidemic. And really what, what they mean when they say rights is these are things that we think people should have. So now they're a right. So we think we, think we should have transgendered bathrooms. Mm-hmm. That's a right. Mm-hmm. Uh, to some can, people. Anything. Anything that any politician decides is very important for – his constituents and his supporters to have, that's automatically a right. I think the government can only take away your rights. I don't think they can give yeah, you rights. Yeah, of course. Rights. The government doesn't create rights. But they think they do at this point. Well, they think that they do, and they think that they're the only ones that should be able to. Correct. And I I, I like that quote only because it made me think if, if you have to pay for it because I want it, I can't call it a right because you shouldn't have to pay for something I want. You may not want it, or you may already have it and don't want more of it, whatever it is. I shouldn't have Well, to... you're just being selfish. Well, but I shouldn't expect Stop you to being pay for selfish. it. I should pay for if it's something I want. No, no, you don't, you don't understand. You're the, <laughs> the, the arc of history bends, bends, bends towards you, yeah. you being yeah, someone correct. that's willing to pay <laughs> for all of these good things. That's part of the pact, right? Isn't that part of the social contract, Chad? I, I, I'm sure it's in there it's somewhere. The new, isn't it the evolving social contract? That's that other it. people want things. The living constitution And the some politician contract. like Bernie has decided that it's a right. You know, who are you to prevent them from taking some of your money to pay for it? Well, I think it's amazing, and I think we should do more of that. This is this is indicative of your end-stage white privilege, which we've talked about before. <laughs> Ad nauseum white privilege. So speaking of white privilege, uh, David Koch died this week. And um, if you're not familiar with half of the Koch brothers, uh, half of the country thinks they're evil. The other half thinks they're evil geniuses. The reality was David Koch died of prostate cancer. But in the caring, feeling side of the country, the leftists, uh, they had a few comments. And, um, you know, I thought I'd read a couple just because I thought it was fun. Uh, Bill Maher said, F, he, F him. I hope he was in pain when he died. Okay. I hope he died painfully. That's that's nice to know. Uh, 
Another guy said, David Koch has died. In lieu of flowers, please construct a shadow network of tax-deductible shell companies to donate to the further perpetuation of environmental destruction and income inequality. As if yeah. that's what happened. Um, one guy said uh, Charles Koch, or David Koch died, and in, he wanted his ashes blown into the lungs of a young child to kill him. Oh, I'm like, oh, really? I wonder how that's gone. <clears throat> Uh, he died before he could be cross- prosecuted for destroying the planet. <laughs> well, th- this just this just shows you the abject stupidity of just first of all modern discourse. M- you ask most people on the left who demonize the Koch brothers; they're supposedly these arch conservative fiends. They're not conservatives at all. No. David Koch was actually a libertarian, amazingly. Pro-LGBT rights, mm-hmm. pro-labor unions. In fact, their companies did, did a, had a lot of contracts with labor unions. Mm-hmm. Anti-military expansionism. If you go down the list of the issues that they supported, mm-hmm. most of the people like Bill Maher, right? Supposedly an intelligent guy, social commenter. Feeling, he's got emotions. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, Bill, actually, he agrees with you on probably 70% of your yes. – All your, your social issues, he agrees and, with you. And between the two of them, arguably, probably among the 10 most philanthropic Americans, maybe in history, mm-hmm. David Koch donated $150 million to – I think it's like a cancer research hospital in New York, another $100 million to another hospital. He supports the arts. To the tune of hundreds, and I think he's actually personally donated well over a billion dollars. He was worth about fifty-one right. billion dollars. Well over maybe multiple billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Of course, everyone lauds Bill Gates and the great Tom Steyer, right? <laughs> it George Soros. Yes. David Koch was as philanthropic, if not more so, and yet he's demon seed because I guess. Uh, dark money or something. Yes, that's what they think. Right, because they, they actually thought, can you imagine this? They thought as citizens of the United States, they had the right to spend their money to support political causes that they believed in. Heaven How forbid. wicked. Yes. Well, if they'd have supported more Democratic causes, right. they'd have been okay. Right. But no, because no, no. they didn't support Democratic causes. Some guy called him a climate denier. That's what he should be remembered as. I'm like, climate denier. Right. And you, you know what? The, the guy who's their hero, Tom Steyer, the high priest of <laughs> global warming cultism. How did Mr. Steyer make most of his billions when was, he was running a hedge fund? Was it coal? Oh, dear. Oh, dear. That That's going to need to be scrubbed from the yeah. official record. Yes. Mm. So Mr. Steyer is sort of the worst kind of... Although you have to give him credit. The guy's no dummy. <laughs> How do you think I got a billion dollars? I invest in worldwide coal, mm-hmm. and then when it becomes expedient for me and I've made my money, now I'm a moral crusader against fossil fuels. Oh. And I'm a hero to the ignoramuses on the left mm-hmm. and actually in the media who don't even bother to ask any of these questions. Gee, why is it that Tom Steyer's a good guy when he funnels more money into politics than David Koch? And he actually, Tom Steyer, invested, invested in the most evil types of fossil fuels in the developing world. Uh, just, never mind. Shut up. Don't, don't, don't mention that. I would say Tom Steyer's an opportunist. 
the opportunity became to invest in coal, so he did. When it became a better opportunity to invest in green, Tom Steyer <laughs> believes a sucker is born every minute. Yes. And um, nobody ever got poor under mes- underestimating the intelligence of the American people or the media. <laughs> or the media. Because Tom Steyer is, is a gargantuan hypocrite, and yes. nobody cares. Why? Because he donates to the right causes. Correct. Correct. So I want to point this out. So David Koch was not a politician, but he did donate to politics. We're told that on the left, they are very sensitive, emotional, caring individuals. That's what we're told. Am I not correct on that? Yes. Every day you're told if you're on the right, you're an incompassionate, uncompassionate uh, jerk who hates everybody and only cares about money. On the left, we care about people. We care about their lives. We care about what's best for them. This is the reaction from the left. I hope he rots in hell. I hope he dies. I hope his brother dies with him soon so they can be reunited. But he's not a real person. No, he's not a real person. He's a a Bond villain. Why should they be upset that a Bond villain died? Exactly. Nobody cried when Odd Job got killed. But I point out, Ted Kennedy died 10 years ago. And I disagree with Ted Kennedy on just about every policy he ever brought up, and I think he was an unconvicted murderer in Chappaquiddick, or at least manslaughter, if nothing else. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up because you should know this about I think they may have also been scrubbed from the official history. You may not be able to look it up anymore. (laughs) It could have been. But what I say, when Ted Kennedy died, I don't recall, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, somebody out there can correct me if I'm wrong, the the right – wing of anything didn't go wow great he's dead i can't wait he can be reunited with his two dead brothers nobody said that and he he perpetrated more against this country than david coke did but somehow it's okay to vilify somebody you don't agree with if you're on the left and on the right we say well, he, you know, his family's probably missing him or sad for his loss, you know, whatever. Yeah, say I the mean, right look, things. There, there's cranks on either side, but there I are. will say that it is far more of a tendency of the left because they view the entire world only through politics. Sure. And we've said this before. Generally, conservatives believe that progressives are misguided and that their policies are not only ill-informed but are – are generally destructive because they're based on good intentions and not actual reality, real world effects. How do these things work? How does the experiment in socialism work over the last 150 years? Hasn't gone well. Doesn't matter because this time uh, just improperly implemented on the left among progressives. There is generally the belief that those who oppose their agenda are not just wrong on the merits. They're evil Mm -hmm. and they need them to be evil because it's become sort of this religious belief system that Mm -hmm. this is why they're in such a froth about Donald Trump. He's not just a politician whose personal style and policies they detest. No, no. He's the embodiment, the embodiment of pure evil. Mm -hmm. And, of course he is. He has to be. You need they need this in order to sustain this constant level of emotional hysteria. Because if you don't have that, if you can't cast your opponents as evil, number 1, then it doesn't justify mm-hmm. all of the things that you intend to do, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't justify dispensing with due process. We need to get rid of that stuff because this guy is so bad. Brett Kavanaugh, we don't need we don't need due process. We don't need presumptions of innocence. He's evil. Mm-hmm. Of course he is. Right? Cuz he disagrees with us. He's evil. I, just take it for what it is. 
I, I didn't know David Koch. I never met the man. I know he wasn't a social. We're on the same social side. Of you things. weren't. You didn't hang out with him. No, we we did not. The skull and bones quarterly meeting. He had a little bit more money than me, like fifty one point five billion dollars more than me. But hey, who's counting but money? You might have seen him down at the bowling alley or something. I'm sh- he probably owns the bowling alley. Well, and has he it might in his house if you like to bowl. Anyway, I, I just get tired of the constant. Anybody we don't like is a demon. And everybody we do like, regardless of how they got there. Harvey Weinstein was a darling of the left until he wasn't. So take that for what it's worth. I want to talk a little bit about Donald Trump and some of the things he said recently. Uh, one, king of the Jews. I don't quite understand that. That's kind of weird. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know what he's talking about there. He said Melania Trump was, had gotten to be good friends with Kim Jong-un, <laughs> who she's literally never met. She's also now good friends with Dennis Rodman, maybe? Maybe. I, I, Okay, again, you're trolling. Great, but that's just weird. Um, he he says he has the authority to um, tell companies they or, orders companies not to do business with China. This is over the tariff thing. There, there's an obscure law from 1977 that's been implemented 54 times. It's usually only been used for uh, national emergencies, not tariffs. It's never been used for tariffs. I, I, I'm not going to get into it too much, but tariffs. T- if people don't understand, a tariff on a product is a tax on you and me. That, right. That's what a tariff is. It's not – it means if you bring a good from somewhere else and they bring it here, avocados from Mexico as an example, they cost more for you to buy them. Yes, it hurts the avocado producers trying to export their product, but it costs you more. So people think tariffs, oh, great, we're going to get money from China. No, we're not. You're going to get more money from you. Right. That doesn't make T- any tariffs sense. Tariffs are generally – very poor economic policy. And, yes. and we've talked about this before. This is one of the reasons that Donald Trump is not anything close to being a conservative because in general, in general, it's the political left that favors tariffs. Typically. Um, so we've made this point before. Now, look, in the short run, you know, has this potentially been somewhat effective against China? Maybe in the long run, tariffs never work. No. Because as you said, they basically increase the hurt on both ends of the transaction for the consumers here and then for all of the manufacturers of U.S. goods who are attempting to sell them there. Because what happens? Tariffs, then it becomes a tariff war. Yes. Right? Trump thinks that he can win this by essentially steamrolling China because they've been – yeah, they've been rigging the system for a long time. Sure. Um, Generally, you always pay the piper with that kind of approach. Well, he's – tariffs tend to – lead if if left in place and they're large enough tend to lead to economic recession yes which the democrats are desperately pining for. well they're very open about the fact that exactly. if we could only stop this good economic news and have the economy tank so we can win the next election well and the stock market and that's not a total indicator of the, the economy so don't use one does not equal the other although there are similarities the stock market has taken a beating over the last week or two um, week and a half, maybe it's really taken a crush because of the perception of tariffs. Because tariffs mean profits go down. When profits go down, companies aren't as valuable. They're not as you're not going to raise the price of the stock as much. Uh, well, certain companies, right? And that's also the other oh, thing. You true. target tariffs for certain industries. So, for right. instance, like domestic steel, you you could potentially argue that no, their profits 
on a short time window increase because of these punitive tariffs, meaning the, the, the competitors' products become more expensive. Correct. And so it, same thing with farmers. The whole idea is, yeah, we're going to prop up an industry by protectionist tariffs. Doesn't that work. may work in the short run, yeah. but overall, you're correct, is that profits are driven down over, yeah. the, the, over the entire economic sector. Well, typically, if you aren't competing, it's either because your price is too high or your quality is too low. Typically, well, or that what what, for instance, the, the steel industry would argue is we're we're competing on an unfair playing field. Yes, you have because, unions and the Chinese don't. Right, <laughs> that's not, your unfair playing that, field. And because they're manipulating currency and sure. they're all, and they can all do all these things and they have incredibly <clears throat> they have slave labor essentially. Yep. Yep. So yes, you're right. You're you're at a disadvantage. The problem is, in general, the, the solution to that is not is is not tariffs. No, it won't. As Tony says, in the short term, you might see a bump, but a long term, it leads to this is what happened. This is what made the 30s worse. Every company started jacking up tariffs in the Great Depression. And guess what? You couldn't export anything. So I got wheat. I got a, I, I'm trying to sell and I can't get it out of the country because I can't export because nobody will buy it because it's too much money. You can't do this to consumers. It, it stifles an economy. Now. Some would say no tariffs. Maybe that's the best answer. Eh, collecting a little bit as a revenue source. Prior to 1913, when they instituted the um, uh, taxes on your salary or your wages, that's how we made money on the sale of land and tariffs. That's how the United States made money. Up in, from the founding until then, there was no income tax in this country. In 1913, that changed. And guess what? They kept some of the tariffs. They kept a lot of the tariffs. So this is just an extra money source for them. I don't like tariffs. I don't know. Do you, do you like tariffs as a no, general rule? No. I, okay. I, I don't think they work out for if anybody. If somebody that long subscribes term. to conservative economic principles, you, you don't like tariffs. But you, I, I just want you to remember, a tariff is a tax on you. It, a tariff for any product coming to this country is a tax on you. You have to understand that and, and look at it from that perspective. Suddenly, it doesn't seem all that great that we're sticking it to the commies. That's not what's happening here. We are, but it's hurting us more. I don't like it. I think it disrupts economies. I think it makes the stock market very nervous when giant tariffs get lumped onto large countries like China, where, let's face it, most of the things in your house were probably manufactured in China, especially if they're electronics. They probably came from China. I don't care what it is. It probably came from China. It might not have been designed there, but it was manufactured there. So keep that in mind when you're deal looking at these things. Trump's, I think Trump is wrong on this, and I think he should not be doing this, but He's the president, and he can sure do certain things that the average citizen can't do. So I want I want to tell a brief story here, Tony, and I want you to tell me how what your thoughts are. So we're looking at the upcoming NFL season. We're we're excited. I mean, you're probably a little less excited about the Chargers than you were. Possibly the Chargers have had possibly the worst training camp, other than the Colts. Now, well, that's of what any I was getting team at. in the NFL. That's what I was getting at. So everybody has hope. Thirty-two teams have hope. Some have unrealistic hopes because let's face it, they're not going anywhere fast. Uh, but other teams have legitimate hopes of possibly being a Super Bowl contender. And until Saturday night, the Colts were possibly in that running. Now Kobe Brissett is taking is it snaps. Is it Jacoby Brissett? Jacoby, what, doesn't matter. He went he's four actually, and twelve. He's serviceable. He but went they're not going four to the and twelve in twenty seventeen when he was there for uh, Andrew Luck, who decided to retire and leave at least a 
quarter of a, a billion dollars on the table from possible contracts if he was. But they're actually to paying him. They're paying. They're him not taking. So somebody asked me that. Twenty-four million dollars on his he, contract. Well, he had twelve million dollars uh, signing bonus remaining from his prorated contract, and he had a twelve million dollar bonus roster bonus he was paid in March. That they're claiming they're not going to go after. Yeah. It's twenty-four million dollars, a little more than twenty-four million dollars and change that they're not going to try to recoup. So somebody asked me, can they recoup it? I said, well, they certainly can. That, that, that's in the collective bargaining. They can. You didn't play. You don't get the money. It's how it right. works. Even if it's prorated over a signing bonus, you don't get to keep it. They get it up front, but you can get it back if you don't perform. Somebody said, why did he retire on Saturday? If he's injured, which it looks like he is, why not just stay on the roster and collect the money? And I think he said that would have cost them more money. Why? I, I'm, my heart's not in it. What do you feel? Do you feel like that was a – did he leave the team in a lurch? Should he have retired in July, or should he have tried to stick it out and see what happened? What do you think? I'm I'm not one of the people that second-guesses Andrew Luck for, for this decision. I know there's – in fact, there was, I guess, a big Twitter uproar, uh, a Fox News commenter who actually liked Doug Gottlieb mm-hmm. basically tweeted out something about, you know <laughs> – Retiring because rehab is too hard, the most millennial thing ever. And, and and I think that's an unfair take. I would agree. Um, but he got hammered. Troy Aikman, who's also the lead analyst for Fox, basically just reamed him out. Well, the fans booed Luck yesterday well, when he announced it at th- the and that's, a tr- that's a tricky thing because I think for, for a lot – first of all, if you're a fan – at the like fourth preseason game, you're a diehard. So what they're what they're booing is not only it's not really Andrew Luck. It's like we have to boo because our life is now ruined. Uh, yeah. We're booing the fates. We thought we were a Super Bowl contender, and now everything is shockingly ruined. Andrew Luck is an interesting dude. Uh, you can't accuse the guy of being anything but a warrior. Mm-hmm. If you've ever watched him play, he took incredible abuse to his body, which is one of the reasons why he's had so many injuries. They had a terrible offensive line when he first came into the league. I think he was the most sacked quarterback yeah. in the league, but he's always been a guy. He's kind of he looks like he's got his ridiculous scraggly neck beard. He looks like a lumberjack. He's got a lot of raw ability. There's there's many NFL films snips of him with mic'd up in game where he compliments guys who are just beating him down. So Indomitian <laughs> Sue smashes him. And he's like, Hey, good hit, big man. Good hit. And that's the kind of guy he was an yeah. incredibly likable guy. You could tell his teammates loved him. I don't think anybody can question. Look, one of the criticisms that Gottlieb leveled was you're okay. You've gone through all these other injuries, lacerated kidney. You had basically a torn labrum. It took you a year and a half to come back from that. And now, cause you have a calf and like ankle issue, but here's the point. And luck made this clear. It's not about this particular injury. It's the cumulative effects mm-hmm. where he feels like I can never get to a place where I'm healthy. I'm on this hamster wheel that I can't get off. I don't enjoy playing football. And the other thing is football is just an incredibly brutal sport physically. Mm-hmm. We have no idea what other day to day because every one of these guys is suffering mm-hmm. from that. Mm-hmm. He made, and he's also, he has a degree in architecture from Stanford. Mm-hmm. He's a very, um, he was a very intelligent guy. I'd say he's less intelligent than when he's gotten the league, just because the hits. To well, the head. but the, the point is, he seems like a guy who, if you look at a lot of the fame, all right, who are some of the most famous early retirees in the NFL? Who's the, who's the most famous? 
Jim Brown. Jim Brown, correct. Jim Brown played nine seasons, I believe. Mm-hmm. The greatest, most people still consider him the greatest running back in NFL mm-hmm. history. Retires after nine seasons to pursue a film career. But Such Jim Brown, is. Jim Brown was his own man. And I think Andrew Luck in a lot of Barry Sanders, another Barry guy, Sanders. plays for 10 years. Robert Smith, 20, 20 well, Gail Sand, Gail Sayers. Well, Gail Sayers had to retire because of devastating still injury, injuries. But he's still retired but, young. No, Jim Brown, Barry Sanders, these are all guys that are retiring generally healthy. But if you listen to them, they were all guys for whom football was enjoyable mm-hmm. and they played it as competitively as anyone. But it really wasn't the biggest priority in their life. Correct. And I think it's very clear that for Andrew Luck, this is a sport that he enjoyed, mm-hmm. but he couldn't enjoy it anymore because he felt like his body was just betraying him. And he's got a lot of other things he wants to do with his life. Mm-hmm. Godspeed. Yeah. I, I don't see how anyone has the right to tell him this is the wrong decision. Well, they, they don't. You should have stuck it out. No, no. They have no ability to put. And that's why Troy Aikman, I think, as another quarterback who also whose career was basically cut short because of just concussion after concussion. Yeah. I think he was very defensive about who are you as some talking head Mm -hmm. to tell a guy who's put up with that kind of uh, physical abuse, who's played at a pro bowl level. If he says it's time and he's done, he has the right to do that. So I have no, I have no issues with Andrew Luck. I don't either. And and I'm not a Colts fan, so I don't have it from that perspective, but. I look at it from this is my life and this is what I want to do. And you don't have to agree with it. It's still my choice. And if the Colts say we want our 24 million back, here it is. Here you go. I, I'm not going to keep it. If you want to let me keep it, great. I you know, tucked up the injuries. You paid me when I wasn't playing. But I'm not going to say I have to play for you or anybody else. I'm not playing for the fans. It's nice that the fans really appreciated him. It's nice that his teammates appreciate him. I think it would have been nicer if he had done it prior to the draft, if he knew then. But I, because but I don't they think said, he did. But they, there's rumor out there that for the last couple of weeks, at least, they've been talking to him. He's been talking about retirement. And I don't know if that was before the draft or not. But if you, I think you, if you can, you tell a team prior to the draft that you're going to retire. It seems so to me, though, can, that he didn't know that prior to the draft. I, and he might not have. But I think if you, if you do, I think that's a good time to do it. I think Barry Sanders should have told the team prior to the draft, not prior to training camp. At least they had training camp to try to make something happen, and and unfortunately they did not make something happen. Uh, Well, and the other thing is that it's not exactly like the Lions were on the cusp of a Super Bowl championship. Agreed. And that was one of the reasons that Sanders retired, Yeah, is that he felt that the organization, whether true or not, was really not all that committed to winning uh, he retired. He would have been the NFL's all-time leading rusher easily. That season, I mean, yeah, he was. He was fifteen hundred yards behind. I think at the time it was Walter, Walter Payton. Payton. Yeah, uh, Emmett Smith then you know blew that out of the water. Well, and and I wonder, had he passed, had he truly wanted that record, would he have continued to play to oh. make it unable for Emmett Smith? Oh, sure. I think Emmett Smith was a good running back. I don't think he was a great well, running I back. I disagree. I with think Emmett Smith was a. I think Jim Brown was the greatest running back. I think Emmitt Smith, you can't say uh, Emmitt Smith is a great running back. He's not as physically gifted. And Emmitt Smith would be the first one to admit this. Mm -hmm. I mean, he he marvels at Barry Sanders. Mm -hmm. Emmitt Smith was a guy, first of all, he played behind 
uh, the best offensive line in football for basically the entirety of his career. Until he went uh, to the Cardinals. But he, I'll tell you what, that guy was also a warrior. I mean, sure. he, he was a great player. Oh, he player. played through injury, no question. He was a great player. He didn't have the raw, just explosive ability. The you know Nobody can... Nobody could be like Barry Sanders. Saquon no. Barkley is probably, just in terms of his elusiveness, the closest guy we've seen, but he's even a different player. I think player. Le'Veon Bell's got some of that elusiveness, not in the not, same Yeah, Sanders was, Gumby there, there's way. only ever been, maybe Gail Sayers. A lot of people maybe. that say they watch Gail Sayers would say he was equally Quicksilver yeah. in terms of he's Possible. vapor. You can't grab him. Possible. Uh, but Sanders, you know, he could have. He could have played for another five years and put the rushing oh, yeah. record so far out of reach, nobody would have touched it. And I don't think anybody's going to touch Emmett Smith's record. I, I think that's done. People. They don't play uh, long they don't, enough. Yeah, they don't play long Or they don't. Get, who knows? Not the maybe, back. maybe Saquon's on his way. We'll see. He plays for the Giants, right? Well, that's true. He, he, may be, uh, he may be banged up, although he's, he looks like he's, he's essentially indestructible. He is until he isn't. And no, that's, I mean, that's, that's true. <laughs> that's the reality. I mean, the. Father Time always catches up to these guys, and they eventually slow down and get caught or get injured, and then they never are the same. So he's not playing behind the greatest offensive line in history, and he probably is going to have a rookie quarterback <laughs> starting. Well, the- I'm not, it's not going to start the season. Oh, I don't know. No, that, they've already made that clear. Okay. Eli's starting the season. Okay. Daniel Jones will be playing by midseason. Is Eli in the running to be the Colts quarterback? I don't think so. Okay. I, I think Andrew Luck... For all his talent, he followed Peyton Manning. And to me, watching the offense under Andrew Luck was pedestrian at best to me. It was not flashy. It was not exciting. It was certainly not high scoring most of the time. It was plodding, and it was slow. Well, actually, I don't agree with that because it was just a different style of offense. And remember, remember, Peyton Manning, totally different quarterback. Peyton Manning does not have the raw arm strength of Andrew Luck. Um, Andrew Luck was actually a much more reminiscent to me of kind of an old style, you know, kind of bomber. Yeah, um, like he looked like Fran Tarkenton. Fran, well, not Fran Tarkenton. He's too big. I mean, Fran Tarkenton well, was like a little like mini me. He ran around and he could launch it 50 but yards. Remember, but remember, he was playing behind abysmal agreed. offensive lines. Agreed. And finally, what you saw last year when you actually have a head coach and an offensive coordinator who know what they're doing, and so they installed a much more modern offense with, I mean, what do you think, 39 touchdowns, 4,500 yards? Yeah. The guy had a lot of talent. Yeah, I mean, he was, was he was best in the season probably Well, he had league. great seasons before. He had high interceptions because he was constantly chucking the ball down the field and he was getting pulverized. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't think, yeah, their offenses were totally different. Peyton Manning was much more precision, mm-hmm. pre-snap reads. Uh, we, we have, you know, he's throwing to Marvin Harrison, all these, all these guys. Different that era, are, different types of quarterbacks. I get it. I just think he had, a, Andrew Luck had a hard time following that. Just like, name any great, you know, Troy Aikman, anybody following Troy Aikman for the next couple of years was not Troy Aikman, you know, or. You know, Cleo Lemon, Cleo Lemon after Dan Marino. That was that was, <laughs> it was that exactly was the same. It's exactly. Tough. Well, use yours, the Chargers. Well, he didn't come right after Philip Ridge. Philip Rivers retires at some point. Yeah. Whoever follows him more than likely is not going to live up to whatever no. Philip did. Now, Drew Brees was there before Philip, and Philip, I think, has short of winning a Super Bowl, has been at the same type of level. I think so. I mean, most people would say statistically that Brees, but that's better. unusual. And uh, honestly, you know, uh, absent the Super Bowl, and uh, Breeze has an advantage in that he's been playing uh, indoors in sure. the Superdome. Sure, uh, both of them. Look, most people would put Breeze higher than Rivers just because of the Super Bowl, and yeah. he has uh, Breeze is possibly the most 
consistently prolific mm-hmm. passer. If you look at his statistics, oh, yeah. they're ridiculous. Yeah, 5, and he's, and he's a great guy. Um, I don't think either of those organizations would trade those guys for not, each other. In other words, point. they're no. they're very happy with how everything's worked out. Yeah. And had Philip Rivers had some luck and you know not torn his ACL in the AFC Championship game and actually had I don't know a sub mediocre offensive line for any of the last ten seasons. Yeah. Um, I still think he has a chance to win a Super Bowl. The Chargers are really good, except they still don't have an offensive line or, or running back. But- no, they have they have multiple running backs. They just don't have Supermel. <laughs> So I give the example of the Steelers. Uh, after the 1980 season when they beat the Rams, they pretty much didn't have a whole lot to speak of for the next 25 years, really. I mean, until Ben Roethlisberger got there. You could say Neil O'Donnell took him to a Super Bowl. but Well, look at the Cowboys. I know. The Cowboys since the Jimmy They've Johnson era. They've won one era. Super Bowl since – or one, one playoff game Yes, not since, one Super Bowl. They've won one playoff game since uh, – since they won the Super Bowl against the Steelers. And I think they had basically, I don't know how many multiple 500 seasons. I mean, they, mm-hmm. I think their record eight and for eights and eight and eights. eight and eight and eight, seven <laughs> and nine, nine and seven, eight and eight and eight. They have been, they're America's team, but they have been just abysmal in terms of any kind of postseason success. One, one playoff victory. In how many years? When was Barry Switzer's Super Bowl? 95. That was five. That was Jimmy Johnson's team. 95. Yes. So the 95 season, Super Bowl 90 in February. Going 96. on 25 years. That's a long time to have one playoff victory. For the For sort of premier team. Who's got five Super Bowls? Right. I mean, in we're other not talking words, about they're one Tampa of the Bay. foundational franchises of the league. Yeah, they're not talking about Tampa Bay or Arizona. We're talking about a team with five Super Bowls. And they, I, I, blame, I blame the uh, GM and owner. I think that has a lot to do with it. He. He, is he paid Zeke yet? Zeke who? They're, they're promising that's going to get done. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, it will. Well, it has to. He did it with Emmett Smith. He played hardball with Emmett Smith, and Emmett sat out, and he paid him because he had to. I, I don't think Zeke is Emmett Smith, but. Well, actually, I think Zeke I think he's got a lot of talent. More, I think Zeke is probably more talented. Do you than think Emmett Dak Smith? Prescott is worth $40 million no, a year? No, of course not, but they're going to have to pay him because what's their other option? Draft anybody. Who? No. Doesn't matter. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. How many Super Bowls they won with Dak Prescott? Well, how many playoff not, games? How many Super Bowls they win with Dan Marino? I mean, that's a silly argument. In other how words, many playoff games? Uh, one. So one. So you're going to pay a guy forty million dollars who's gotten you one playoff. That's what the, Dan Marino got a whole lot more playoff victories right, but, than one. But the point is, that's what the market is right now. That the, I I disagree with that. I think the market may be that, but you haven't produced anything. Produce. And we talk. Don't produce, and you take what but, we give you. Your or produ- go somewhere else. But your produce and we talk argument means that basically uh, 70% of the current start- starting quarterbacks in the league shouldn't be paid. That's just not reality. No, they should Where be are the paid. other quarterbacks going to come from? They should be paid, but they shouldn't be paid $40 million. But that's the point. That's the market right now. You don't want to pay them $40 million. It's like saying George Clooney should not be getting $20 million to star in that movie. Because, I agree. Right. But the point <laughs> is that the market is willing to pay him that. Well, the free market says we're willing to pay you this. Even Well, you could get the NBA the same way. You know, six-man making worse. millions and millions of dollars to sit on the bench half the time. I don't disagree, and I think quarterback is obviously the the position that's going to get the most money. 
But I don't think Dak Prescott in any other market is worth $40 million a year. He hasn't done anything to warrant $40 million. He may get it. He probably will get it. But I, I challenge that you keep saying, I mean, I know that to bring the salary cap down. Owners, bring the salary cap down. Give them other perks. Give them health care, you know, after they retire. Give them whatever. But the salary cap doesn't have to keep ratcheting up, so you keep paying mediocre talent. Now, I'm not saying Dak's mediocre, but there's a lot of oh, quarterbacks who look, are. I'm not a huge – I'm not a Dak apologist. My only point is that given what he has done, first of all, and you remember, they have had – the way that you construct a Super Bowl contending team in the modern NFL is you get a – quarterback on a rookie deal that turns into an immediately great or very good player Mm -hmm. and because of the incredible cost savings on those kind of contracts you then have extra money to build around them and then your 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 blueprint is by the time the quarterback has to demand huge money on you now already have a super bowl contending team that's what's going on right now in Cleveland. They hope with Baker Mayfield. That's what has allowed the Kansas City Chiefs to build around Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. Who? What are they? What's Mahomes making right now? Nothing. Peanuts. Yeah, and not his much. next contract is going to be one gazillion trillion billion dollars. Okay. So that's that's the blueprint. Dak Prescott is not a great quarterback, but he is better than a journeyman. He's actually pretty good. And what's the other option? I don't know who the other option is. There isn't there's, one. There's always another option. No, of course. They're like, yeah, it's fine. You can go find. Jacoby Brissett is probably available for a bag of peanuts. Even though the, true. Even though the Colts just lost Andrew Luck. He's probably available. And I'm not saying so you're going to get So is Tyrod Taylor, and so yeah. is Easton Stick, and so is a whole bunch of other guys. Ryan, Johnny Manziel is still out there. Patrick. There's guys bagging groceries like Kurt Warner yeah. that are going to be playing in the Canadian. The point is. Tell me who's a better option that you can sign for some bargain basement deal. There isn't anybody. I'm not a GM. I don't know that who that is. I, I would say that what you see with the Patriots, and I detest the Patriots. I, de- I detest them with all of my being. But Tom Brady hasn't chased the big contract. That's because his wife earns $200 million okay. a year. Okay. But here's my question. Or is worth $200 million. Here's my question. Are there not other creative ways to compensate a player other than paying them buttloads of money? Now, is Tom Brady worth what he's paid? More than likely. He's got six Super Bowls. Yes, I think he's worth it. Is Dak Prescott? I mean, is Dak Prescott literally worth $15 million a year more than Tom Brady? Of course not. Of course not. And any sane person's idea, six Super Bowls. One playoff victory. But but you're it seems like you are having this kind of utopian idea that somehow it's almost like you're saying it's not fair. Of course it's no, not no, no. fair. It's not about fair. It's about saying you can have one of two things. You can try to build a winning team, or you can suck up all the money for yourself and we can surround you by with garbage. Which is it? If you want it all for yourself, maybe you're not the team guy we're looking for. Let's make a trade with, I don't know, maybe Russell Wilson wants to get out of Seattle. Maybe that's a good switch. But they're not sucking up all the money. The, the league is printing money. and if the, the league teams... is, but the, there's salary caps. There's a well, salary sure, cap. So you, you are sucking up a huge percentage. There's 53 men on that roster, and you're taking $40 million of that $167 million? But, but ultimately, what you're really saying is that the owners are held hostage. They don't have to pay them. 
In other words, these are the people. No, but your point is somehow like it's it's selfish of you to do this. And I've made this comment before. I agree with you in some respects. You would hope when players are weighing, do I want to maximize that extra two million or do I want to play for a contending team? You'd hope at that point they would say, I don't need that extra money. But you seem to be saying that it's kind of like the the owners, the people that are the bean counters, that they know their finances, they know the cap, who are building a team. If they really couldn't pay the money, they wouldn't pay the money. No, but not, they're still paying it. I'm not saying they can't pay the money. I'm saying they shouldn't pay the money. Not because he's not sacrificing his body. Not because he hasn't. He's not far superior to me as a quarterback. He most certainly is. I'm saying, is there not another way to compensate him that doesn't destroy the team in the sense that forty million dollars of hundred. I think it's 167 is this cap. Maybe it's more than that. You're taking that gives you less to surround yourself with better talent to win that Super Bowl. Can I give you a dealership, a car dealership? Can I give you a pizza franchise? Can I give you primary well, first minority all, ownership when you retire? Maybe you could. And the, first of all, I have no idea whether that would run afoul of the collective bargaining agreement, because I think you would have people saying, no, 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 you're not going to hide. You're not going to hide the salary you're paying this guy by giving him a car dealership. In other words, that would have to be, I'm not even sure whether you'd be permitted colleges to do that. Colleges do that. Well, <laughs> not of course car dealerships, they do. But colleges hide the, what they're paying. I just, I just don't understand your frustration. My frustration is he hasn't, the market may bear $40 million a year. He hasn't, in my opinion, earned the right to get $40 million, even if the market bears that, because the team still needs work. This team needs other players to make it better. And if you suck so, up all but, that money, it's but never going to happen. here becomes the question. What's the right number? I don't know. I, but that's the point. So you're saying, okay, you shouldn't make 40. Maybe you should only make 25. Well, guess what? At 25, the team still needs stuff. So maybe yes. you should only make 10. Well, at 10, he's still making more than some other guys that might be really good too. That's the point is that who who's going to decide what that arbitrary number is that he's getting paid The GM. Enough? The GM is deciding. Their decision is <laughs> you make $40 million. But That's they, my they, point. They haven't done it yet. They will. You think they will? Of course they will. We'll see. I don't know. I don't, I don't think Zeke's This is a get very the... rational process. If they thought they could better deal themselves. Well, they would. They Certainly. would. Certainly. They I, can't. I think they they think they have a chance to undercut what he wants. He might want 40. He might think he's they worth the, 40. His agent the, might say he's worth 40. Right. Well, they have the option to franchise him. Of course, that's going to crater relations with Dak yeah. and his agent because franchising people in the modern NFL is an insult. You're basically holding them hostage. That's what players don't want you to do. They want long-term guarantees. But they don't get long-term guarantees. Well, no, of course not. Well, they want upfront guaranteed money. That's well, what they get. But say if I say I, you franchise me, you have to pay me as long as I play, right? Yes. For that year, you have to pay For me. one that. year. Okay. But guess what? They can cut you the next year anyway. Absolutely. So they that's act like why, they're not getting this. No, guarantee. but that's why players don't want to be franchised. They understand that. But they could be cut on a five-year deal after year one. They probably if won't if be, you're a but superstar, they be. If you're a superstar, you're not going to be. And that's why guys like that hold out for guaranteed money. That's, that was the whole point of Le'Veon Bell's uh, situation. And he didn't get any more than this. Oh, he got more offer. guaranteed money. A lot more. We'll see. Apparently double. That's what they think. 
I haven't seen the actual contract. I have. Okay. I reviewed it at Le'Veon's house. <laughs> in New York? All, all the codicils and addenda. Did yes. you go jet skiing with him in Florida this offseason? Don't, don't, don't mention that. I'm with too much beer in that, that right. belly. I, I don't know what it is. I just I laugh when somebody tells me I'm worth $40 million because I've won one playoff game. I laugh when somebody says that. It's the same I don't reason, think Ben Roethlisberger is worth $40 million a year. I don't think Tom Brady's worth $40 what million a year. The whole concept of worth is meaningless. He is worth the what value the current to the market franchise. will pay him. And it's the same idea. You know, a guy like Mike Conley, pick, pick your random NBA player. Mike Conley makes $42 million a year. Mike Conley is a, a very good point guard who's – not is a borderline all-star who will never carry a team to a title. Is Mike Conley worth for it? No, of course not. He's not worth that. You got guys that are 11th guy off the bench that are making $14 million a year. The whole notion of worth. $26.54 million a year. Who? Mike Conley. He makes, what, what did he make last year? I don't know. He was at like $40 million. They fluctuate depending on how the payouts go. Or maybe he's about to make $40 million. He made uh, nine point three in twenty fifteen, twenty sixteen. He makes he made twenty six five in twenty sixteen, twenty seventeen, twenty seven eighteen, twenty eight five, and twenty eighteen nineteen thirty. And what's 25. his net? What's he scheduled to make next? Well, let me see. It's got fifteen more rows. Let's see. <laughs> uh, thirty four million in. I'm sorry, nineteen twenty thirty two five. That's next year. Okay. I'm pretty sure and it goes 34, up. 34-5 uh, the following right. year. And so after keeps, that, he's a free agent. It keeps escalating. I thought he was at 40, so he's only at 34. But the point is, again. Well, 34 at the end of the contract. Yeah. Yes. And they're guaranteed in the NBA. Nobody is worth any of that. I agree. But the way the league is structured right now, Dak Prescott is in a position to make $40 million because the Cowboys, and by the way, there's a lot of smart guys mm-hmm. who know the ins and outs of this situation. If they could find a way to not pay him that or have somebody else come in that was better. Isn't and, Babe Laufenberger around somewhere? He probably is. He probably is. <laughs> um, Jeff George. He's got to be out there. He's in his 50s, but he's got to be available. You know, and there's tons of guys. I mean, I think Tom Brady's contract, he's not even in the top 15 no. guys paid quarterbacks. No. And he doesn't care. You think it's because of Giselle. I think it's because he, he recognized I need other people around me to win championships. That's part of it, but he explicitly says that. He says, fortunately, my wife makes a lot of money. As well, if the other thing that makes me has. laugh about that is it because otherwise, you know, that whatever. What's he making? 20. That, that 20, we'd have to, we'd be on the ramen noodles, right? <laughs> I've only made that one time. We couldn't, have a, we couldn't have the size of moat that we have around our current house. Well, you know, I think it's funny. We'd have to have a babbling brook, not a moat. Tom Brady makes more in one year than I will ever make in my life. $15 million a year. Oh, see? A pittance. Comparably to 40? Yes. Yes. And, and he, he's 42. I mean, the reality is he's won a few playoff Think games. about this. Until Michael Jordan's last two contracts with the Bulls, mm-hmm. he signed what was then one of the most lucrative rookie contracts, and it was for, I don't know, seven, eight years he was making like two or three million dollars a year. Mm-hmm. That's the best player in NBA history who I think at one point in the middle of his prime was not even one of like the 30 highest paid players in the league. Mm-hmm. That's outrageous. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I give him credit. He, the guy never held out. No. And then Jerry Reinsdorf made it up a little bit, although 
you how want much to talk about you? you want to talk about what he did to the value of that franchise. Oh, yeah. He could have made two hundred million a year and it wouldn't have been enough yeah. to compensate him. Well you see all the articles, LeBron doesn't make enough to just he should be paid a lot more sure. than he is. Because guys like that transcend just their performance. I mean, I forget what Jerry Reinsdorf bought the Bulls for. A nickel, I think. But what, yes, apparently, yes, a nickel. <laughs> they hadn't won much when he bought a them. Bag of magic beans, and they're. You know, I forget what they're worth now. I mean, he's literally multiple billion dollars. Well, if the Clippers went for two billion, I got to believe the Bulls. Yes, were and two basically, billion and one. basically because of one guy. Oh yeah, no Jordan. No, the value is not there. But we're talking about Jordan. LeBron, yeah, Aikman, and Dak Prescott. No, but your point. But your point was, you know, how are these people making no, more I than know, Tom Brady? Of I course. know how they're doing it. I don't like it because he's not, in my opinion, the value he brings does not justify the cost of him. That's my opinion. I'm not a Cowboys fan, so it doesn't matter what my opinion is. Even if I was, it wouldn't matter what my opinion was. Jerry is the only one that makes that decision, and Jerry can decide if uh, he wants to pay him $40 million or $42 million why, or $50 million. Who is, who is the quarterback other than Brady that you believe is worth their salary? I think Aaron Rodgers is probably closer to his worth, but I think he's probably a little bit overpaid. That's my point. I have a feeling that you would say that nobody is worth their salary. I don't think Ben Roethlisberger is worth his salary. Right. Well, how can nobody be worth their salary? Because I, I think they play a game, and they become multi- – in the 70s and even in the 80s, you played football, the NFL, you might have a nice living, but you weren't a multi-millionaire 10, 15, 20 times over. I, I, and I know things change, but I don't believe that these players are superior they're because not. they're paid more. But do you think that they're actually being paid because they're superior? No, I think they're, they're being paid because, paid because, because they're these players. billion, trillion dollar television contracts. Totally get that. I know where the money comes from. I know it's not from ticket sales, but I understand I don't like that. Maybe I don't understand what that means. What do you mean you don't like it? I don't like that somebody who plays a game can whine about, I don't get appreciated. Well, I'm different. not appreciated. That's a different argument. Now because you're saying that they're, ingra- they're ungrateful. Yeah, of course. That's incredibly annoying. But just from, a, from an economic perspective, I don't understand why it bothers you. And again, what is the arbitrary number at which you would be content to say that's the correct number? You, Matthew Stafford, two point six million. That's for, it for zero playoff wins. Right. I mean, I, I'm not kidding you. I mean, it's zero playoff wins. I, I think there should be a performance clause. We'll pay you more when you do more. You don't do more, you don't get more. Yes, we could pay you forty million dollars. We could pay you a hundred million dollars. But you haven't done anything, so until that happens, shut up. But there's only how many teams per year that actually can win in the playoffs. So, so basically what you're saying there's eight is... eight teams can at least win one playoff right, game a year. Right, but your point is essentially that 66%, actually 75% of the quarterbacks in the league in any given season, they're going to be failures according yes. to the Chad scale. Well, so let me ask you, in your industry, are you judged by your peers and by your employer... If you win or lose, because I am, um, it's a little bit more. Well, that's actually an interesting comment because one of the things that is apparent, I think this is true in any industry, in my industry in particular, as someone who who's a trial lawyer, um, let's put it this way: there are guys that are courtroom lawyers that are phenomenally gifted, mm-hmm. and they are paid commensurate with their abilities, and there are tons and tons of guys. In fact. 
more than the other type who are mediocre at best, at best in a courtroom, and they make ridiculous amounts of money because it has nothing to do with whether they're a better advocate. Maybe they're a better marketer. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're on the side of a, you know, they're a plaintiff's lawyer and they're a successful firm. They're going to make gazillions more, you know, multifactorials more than someone that's on my side of the equation because the economics of what they're doing is different. Sure. I don't. I wouldn't think it was any more appropriate to say it is just ridiculous that that guy has, you know, seven quarter of a million dollar sports cars. And look at him. He's terrible. He's he, that that's kind of like an irrational thing to say. Right. It, it may be for you, but I am on a daily basis judged against my peers and compensated accordingly. So when I win. I make more money. When I lose, I make less money. So from my perspective, from my view of life, if I don't win, I don't make money. So I project that on others. I, would you say that somebody who wins more cases gets paid better? But more high-profile cases probably because they've got their name out there. Probably. But if you have the choice, let's say money is not an object and you have a choice, are you going to hire the lawyer who win, who's won one case or the guy who wins every time he steps up to the – well, first lectern. of all, there is no guy that wins every time they step up to the lectern. Using but, obvious but, but here's another point. No guy loses all Here, the time Here's either. the other thing. If you work at a large thousand-lawyer, big-city firm doing some esoteric area of the law, and you know what? Maybe, you're, like, maybe your skill set is limited to you do research and you write briefs and motions for the lead partner in your practice area, but because that generates – because of the niche marketplace they're in, tens of millions of dollars, maybe that guy gets paid $750,000 a year. Is, should he be paid that much? I have no idea. I mean, I would think, well, that doesn't, I don't know, that doesn't seem fair. He's on the winning team, though. He's on the guy uh, who generates. No, there is no winning team. Well, other than... Look, take, take lawyers out of it then. There's, if you're a stock boy in a grocery store and you can't seem to figure out how to put the cereal on the, on the right level every day, You've failed. You get fired. But you're also mixing the entertainment business with other types of. Well, maybe that's my issue. Entertainment, right? Like, for is instance, grossly overpaid is, for their actual yeah, value. Of course, their actual value to what? Society? There is really no actual value. They well, give people enjoyment. Why does Tyler Perry get to still make movies? I don't know. Why, Why does is, Adam Sandler get exactly. to make movies? I don't Why know. Why is Adam Sandler almost a billionaire? I have no idea. Not a clue because most of his movies are not funny. But it would be – They're but, all the same movie. But would you say it's unfair that Adam it's Sandler – I've never said unfair. I don't like it. I don't think it's what should happen. I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm beating around the bush of unfair, but I don't – I think if you succeed – you should be rewarded for succeeding. And if you fail, you should not continue to be rewarded for failing. The Cleveland What's... Browns fire their coaches on a routine basis because they fail. They don't keep them around. They don't... I mean, other than Cincinnati keeping Marvin Lewis around for way past his expiration date, most coaches don't keep their jobs if they fail over and over and over. They get canned. But in a league which prides itself on parity where the vast majority of the teams finish a season at 8 and 8 or 7 and 9, your definition of failure is 70% of the league. 80% of the league is a failure. <clears throat> There's a lot of turnover every year. 
Well, in in coaching, sure, because it's easier to get rid of the coach than it is to get rid of the, the players. That's the point. Is that you? Still but the players aren't any better because it's a new coach. There's a limited supply of people that can play in the NFL. True. There's, There's a thousand guys in the world. Yeah. So the point is, you want to artificially limit what these guys get paid. And by the way. Failure is certainly measured by trophies, but it's also measured by what's the bottom line revenue statement for the NFL in 2019. And I can tell you, it's really, really good. It's high. It's very high. So I don't disagree with from that. From the owner's standpoint, sure, it's a bummer that, as you said, Babe Laufenberg did not lead us to the Larry <laughs> O'Brien trophy or the Vince Lombardi trophy or whatever it's going to be. But guess what? My bank account is now several billion dollars sure. bigger. I'm more than happy to pay. Well, you're going to pay somebody $40 million a year because you know they're going to add $150 million to your bottom line. I get that. I don't disagree with that. I'm just saying failure should not be rewarded and success should be rewarded. And it shouldn't be if you're if you're mediocre, if you're 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9, and nine, how many coaches keep their job at 7-9 and nine repeatedly, year after year after year being 7-9? and nine? Not many. And by the way, Hardly if the any. team is 8-8 eight and eight, – what if you're really good at your job? Okay. But how are you even supposed to know that? For instance, why would you be paying the best left tackle in the league when your team is a failure? Maybe you're not. Maybe you don't. I mean, that's the reality. So Maybe you say, you're, I can't afford to pay you because so you're not you're, adding to my bottom line. Right, but so then you're discounting actually in a team sport even the people that are the best players at their position. Sorry, Saquon. We'd like to pay you like the most gifted running back in the league, but the Giants stink. Yeah. We need to get mu- we need to get value from you somewhere else, so we're going to trade you, you to someone and get right. and three more ad- someone. But the problem is if you adopted that strategy, all the other owners would say, hey, you know what? Um, we're actually really happy that owner Chad is not going to pay any of his well, players because we'll pay you. The Steelers have done that over and over and over. They do not pay huge amounts. They do not pay big salaries to free well, agents yeah, at and all. They don't pay big guaranteed contracts. No, and it's worked out well. It has worked out pretty well. I mean, it's, it, there's been up and down, but that's How the reality. How does Mike Tomlin still have his job? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, I do not know how he still has a job. See, if you ran a team, you would have like three players on the roster. No, that's <laughs> – I would I would build the team concept and say we're all sacrificing for the team. Not understanding that as the owner I'm big wig sitting up in my big mansion looking down on you saying I got all the money, you can't have any. I understand how that concept comes out, but there's always going to be people who have a whole lot more money than you in whatever sure. industry you're in. Somebody, Bill Gates is always going to have more money than me. Even if he gives most of it away, he's still going to have more money than me. And I don't resent him for having that. I resent a player being whiny saying, show me respect with cash. I deserve respect with cash. You deserve respect when you've done something to deserve respect. Respect isn't bought. Respect is earned. Dak Prescott hasn't earned my respect, so I can't pay him enough to respect him because he's always going to want more. Do something for it. That's all I'm asking. Do something. <laughs> Win. Don't go eight and eight. Win. Don't go eight and eight. Is Dak Prescott the only guy that determines whether they go eight and eight? He wants a vast majority of the money, so you got to take a vast majority of responsibility. Sure, I, I agree with that. I agree that's with that. My, that's my but, feeling. But your spiel about we're all going to sacrifice, you know what their response is going to be? We're going to go sacrifice for that other team okay. who's just as mediocre, but their owner's going to pay us okay. twice as much money. Okay. But you know what? And sooner or so later, no, so be but the I'll be is, the Clippers. Okay. 
<laughs> right, exactly. That's my point. I'll be the Browns. I mean, they still have an NFL franchise. They gave him a second one because they felt so bad well, for hey, them. the Browns, listen, the Browns are trendy right now. Just being trendy. All right, this is good. We have finally we have disagreed. disagreed. We have finally disagreed. I'll say to Baker Mayfield, win something, then you can talk. Until then, shut up. How many, games, how many games are the Browns going to win this year? Seven. Ten. Okay. I think the Steelers are going to win eight. I don't know how many games the Chargers are going to win. Uh, before Nine. before training camp, I would have said 11. Um, let's see. Der- no Derwin James. Probably no Melvin Gordon. Who knows? Phillip Rivers will get you know hit by lightning. No, Phillip will still be there. See, that's his fate. He's like a Greek, he's like a Greek yeah, tragedy. Of course he he's is. Just, he's going to be there as everything else bursts into flames around him. Yeah. Um, I think the Chargers are going to win 10 games. They win the division? No, I think the Chiefs win the division with 11 okay. games. Do the, do the Raiders even contend? No. Okay. No, the Raiders are a dumpster fire. They've been a Antonio fire. Brown will have some sort of implosion by midseason. He had a second grievance about the same issue. I don't know why you get a second grievance about the same issue. I filed my grievance. I lost. How do you get another grievance against that issue? You lost. It's over. That's what, that's what happens. It's a strenuous grievance. <laughs> Okay, remember I strenuously from, object. Remember, exactly, that's right. It's like, I object. No, no, I, I have a grievance. I'm, I'm grieving. I strenuously grieve. I want, I want another. We'll see. Hopefully we can meet next week and we can talk wow, about who we think's going to Wow, this one went way win. too long because we were disagreeing. And it's okay. Uh, anything else? No, nothing. <laughs> nothing. All right, I'm Chad. Neither of us deserve the amount we're being paid to do this podcast, which is zero. I deserve more than I'm being paid, but <laughs> I don't know about Tony. We'll have to decide that. Folks, you can tell us if we deserve more than we're being paid. Yes, or less. Or less. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. Bye. This has been a Hannah Tree production.